listening to the All Things Good podcast. Hello and welcome to the HD podcast. Today I'm joined by Doug Rowland. Doug is the creator of the Academy Award nominated film Feeling Through. Doug, how you doing? Tom, I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, happy to have you. Uh, you know, so your your film Feeling Through, I you know I've watched it a couple times now, and you know just for everyone listening, it's a great film that you can find on YouTube. Uh, it's the first film to feature a deafblind actor, and you know Doug did a great job with creating you know, this film and really shows, you know, humanity coming together is the way I look at it. You know, you have people with different backgrounds, you know, the, the teenage kid who is, you know, perceived as homeless and coming across the deafblind actor. Um, you know, Doug, how did you come into first making this film and creating it? Yeah, well, this, this story was inspired by a real life encounter I had 10 years ago. Um, and though the film's fictionalized, it's it's um, some of the primary story beats of how these two characters meet and communicate were directly inspired by my experience. Um, I Similar to like you see in the film, I, I was coming home late one night 10 years ago in New York and saw a man standing on a street corner holding a sign that said, I'm deaf and blind and need help crossing the street. Um, I tapped him, took him to a bus stop that he wrote in a notepad that he needed. Um, and when we got there, I realized the bus wasn't coming for over an hour. I wanted to let him know I'd sit and wait with him. I didn't know how to communicate with him, but I instinctively took his palm and started tracing one letter at a time on it to write, I will wait. Um, and uh, he understood what I wrote. And we ended up having a whole conversation that way of me writing in his palm, him writing in a notepad. And it was just, um, it was such an impactful experience for me. I mean, on the one hand, it was the first person who was deafblind I'd ever met. And I realized in that moment, I'd really never even thought about that community. Um, but, but moreover, I, um, it was also such an intimate and unique way to communicate with someone um, that really stood out. And, and also this man, Artemio was just such a, he, he was such a charismatic and, and warm hearted guy who I felt like I'd really made a connection with and he left a last, lasting impression on me. So it, there were a number of things happening in that moment that really stood out. Wow, that's that's amazing. I didn't know that it was actually like a, a true, like a real experience that you had. So, um, you know, it came from your experience. Were you actually, you know, in the same situation as the homeless kid? Like, were you homeless yourself or was it? No, kind of I was in a different situation. I mean, that wasn't really again, a lot. It's there, there's a marriage of fact and fiction in it. You know, I think anytime you're working off of subject matter that, you know, was inspired by real events, um, and I say inspired, but I don't even say like based on, because right. at the end of the day, you have to make a decision as to what story you're ultimately telling. Um, and, and there are going to be certain elements that stay in certain elements that go. So for me, it was really the jump off point and certainly guided some of the specific choices, but ultimately I, in, in starting to work on the film, earlier drafts were closer to what happened to me. Um, but as I started to explore the story more intuitively, I just kind of was taken in different directions with it um, and really wanted to honor what it was, that creative process and what was like really trying to come out. Um, so, yeah, there, there are also like notable differences in the film from my experience as well. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. And I mean, that's interesting that, you know, you actually were the one that thought to, you know, use the, uh, 
use your finger on his palm to kind of communicate. Because when I was watching that at first, I was thinking too, like, you know, how do you communicate, you know, and maybe that's my, you know, lack of understanding of, you know, like you said, it was your first uh, encounter with, uh, you know, someone who's deaf and blind. Uh, is that, so does that kind of just, you know, come naturally? And then as you got to know him more then you kind of, you know, cause then you feel that like human connection almost that like, you feel like you're like telepathically like talking to each other almost. Well, you know, um, you know, I didn't know it at the time because I did it intuitively, but that that is a form of communication called print on palm. It's not super often used. I mean, I think it's probably employed more in scenarios where it's someone like me who doesn't know ASL or tactile ASL, which is ASL signed in the hand for people who are tactile communicators. Um, but it, it is it is a mode of communication that I just happened to stumble upon. Um, Artemio our real life, uh, the person I encountered in real life, he um, communicates through tactile ASL, which again is ASL signed in the hand. There are some people in the deafblind community that um, communicate in different ways. You know, our actor, Robert Tarango, who's the, our deafblind actor um, who plays the character of Artie in the film, right. he still has uh, a little bit of like what, what you, he described as pinhole vision that's also a little foggy. So under the, with like the right distance, um, and the right lighting conditions, he can still rely on his eyes to see ASL to some degree. Um, so he communicates slightly differently than say like the man I met um, 10 years ago. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're, one of the things I've learned a lot about, you know, over the last particularly three plus years of making the film um, is that it's, the, the, the deafblind community is a very diverse community with really diverse Anytime you have a dual layered uh, disability, there, there's many different manifestations of that. And, and therefore that leads to a lot of different communication styles. So I've learned about a, a several communication styles um, and communication modalities in that community that have been um, a really interesting part of this process of really getting, not just learning about the community, but forming some really meaningful friendships um, and colleagues in, in the deafblind community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing that, you know, you actually used, you know, uh, you know, real life deafblind actor instead of, you know, having someone cast it. And, you know, I think that kind of speaks to the validity of the film as well. Uh, you know, what was kind of the process like, uh, you know, for the actor and, you know, shooting the film? Was it his first uh, film that he, well, actually, I guess it has to be his first film that he was in. <laughs> so what was that experience, you know, like uh, shooting with him? you know, getting well, Robert, lines and stuff like that. Robert um, is so interesting story about Robert. And I encourage you and, and anyone who's listening to, to go to feelingthrough.com because in addition to being able to find the film there, we have a companion documentary that actually goes into a lot of detail and follows the process of, you know, um, not just the inspiration behind the film, but casting and working with Robert and, and um, actually the search for this man, Artemio, who I, who's the man I'd met 10 years ago. Um, but, you know, Robert, I worked with, the, I, I partnered with the Helen Keller National Center to make this film, you know, from the very start of this process, I worked with them to not just to get to know the community, but to help cast the film. We worked together to create fully accessible screening events on the, you know, once we made the film. But, um, you know, we, I worked with, um, specifically for casting this uh, guy named Chris Woodfill, who's the associate executive director there, who's deafblind. And he reached out to his network of people who are deafblind across the country to get like a casting list together. 
Um, but you know, halfway through our first day of casting, we had a break in our schedule and someone in the room was like, Hey, what about Robert? He might be good. Cause he wasn't on our list. Robert was actually working in the kitchen as a cafeteria assistant at the Helen Keller national center. Um, and he's like pulled out of the kitchen, not really explained what was happening, walks into this room <laughs> with me sitting there with a the camera, finds out he's auditioning for a movie and starts cracking all these jokes. And, um, I, he, I just knew he was our guy once I saw him, but, um, it was such a, you know, fateful way in which we, you know, connected in the first place. And then Robert's a guy who's just got a great spirit and a great, he was, he was just really hungry to like learn how to do it, do this and do it as right. to his best of his abilities. And, and again, working with the Helen Keller National Center, we had a great communication team to help facilitate the communication throughout, um, having great inter interpreters, having a lot of time to under, so that I could understand Robert's access needs ahead of time so that we could create an accessible set experience for him. Um, so I honestly was probably more challenging working with his first time actorness than him being yeah. an actor who is deaf blind because that's always challenging, you know? I mean, anytime an actor's learning you know, working on something for the first time, you know, getting them to like really believe that, that you've cast the right person and they don't have like imposter right. syndrome, you know, <laughs> but he was, he was just a great guy and great, had such a great attitude and great spirit to be around. And it, it just, it worked out so great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, like the power of the film is, you know, I think this happens with every film, but you know, the actors in it and, you know, with him, I think he just like, immediately it was like the attention was like you know everybody loved him because he was just such a likable guy on on camera and you know I mean I think he he hit it out of the park with that and really what the best part about it was too is and I'm sure there's probably a lot of other deafblind people like this as well but the confidence level you know I think uh for people who maybe don't have never met a deafblind person they might think that they have you know troubles getting through life or maybe they can't do much but you know Robert showed in the film that he's just like all of us he can do you know anything capable that we can do so I think that part of the film really is what captured everyone yeah totally and I think you know understanding the diversity of the deaf blind community is kind of like under understanding the diversity of any community um in the sense that there's a real spectrum of people in that community like there are in any community who have different um capabilities and different strengths and weaknesses um different access needs so you know there's certainly a, a quite a spectrum there and robert um is a is a unique individual within the deafblind community like any person in that community is um you know and robert happens to be someone who's you know, largely independent and, and does do a lot of things on his own. There's other people who do, you know, require um, support service providers to do a lot of things or what have you. So it's really, it really varies greatly person to person. And I think, again, that's a reflection of any community. I mean, as far as um, disability or not disability, uh, non-disability, um, you know, that you're gonna have people who have different strengths and weaknesses and different um, things that they would need more assistance with and other things. And, um, I think the biggest thing like you're saying is that the film helps to inform people that there there is a you know a spectrum of capabilities and 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 um, strengths and that to not make an assumption that someone who's deafblind can't do any number of things that there are many deafblind people that can do those things and to understand that it's it's each individual is different. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so in your experience and your your real life experience, uh, did you have to 
did you take him to the store too to get a, a tall Arizona iced tea or is that, was that no I, I didn't take him anywhere um I have actually this is a little bit of a spoiler alert for people who are going to watch the documentary which is still uh worthwhile watching but we did after a very like lengthy process track down Artemio oh, um, awesome. that I met years prior and I have hung out with him several times uh since you know since and you know i have gone to a couple stores with him since then but not the <laughs> night of but um but yeah i mean just you know artemio's you know a really fascinating guy he's wildly independent he's someone who loves to venture out into new york city on his own um feels very comfortable navigating the city on his own um is and you know for instance just like when i went was going to cv we, we had a conversation then he's, he, he was going to go to cvs he asked if i could come with him and like one of the ways that he um, buys stuff at CVS is he comes with empty versions of what he ran out of. So okay. that if I wasn't there, when I, with, with me, he just handed me the thing. So I knew exactly what, like specifically which brands and products he wanted. <laughs> but if I wasn't there, he would just find someone in the store and hand them those things. And, you know, to insinuate that that's what he needed. So he's got, you know, he's someone who's really independent knows how to get around, um, feels really comfortable with it. And, um, you know, someone who, you know, is just like a, a wildly capable person that a lot of people who don't know about the community would assume is not possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, it's amazing that, you know, someone like that can go out into the city and, you know, live, you know, a normal life. I mean, I have trouble navigating the city. So <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing to see that, but uh you know so what was it like you know working with the uh the helen keller services and you know just the the deafblind community as a whole i mean i'm sure you learned you know a lot through the whole process i learned a ton so and just to make a because i've said both during this interview so helen keller services is the parent organization that under which helen keller national center is the the entity that deals with um primarily the deafblind population then there's also Helen Keller Services for the Blind that deals more with the blind and low vision population. So my co-nominee is Sue Rosensky, who's the CEO of Helen Keller Services and someone that I've worked very closely with over the last three plus years to make all this happen. And, you know, I love, I love this story so much because Sue is someone who's dedicated her 40 plus year career to the deafblind community, has never worked on a film before or even dreamed of working on a film. And now she's an Oscar nominee, which I, gives me a real kick and I think is really awesome. But yeah, you know, it, it was a real great partnership between the two of us. And, and I've worked with so many amazing people in the organization to help this all come to fruition. And really, you know, I was coming, you know, first and foremost, you know, I met with her and a bunch of other people so they could understand the place from which this story was coming that it was something that was deeply meaningful to me that was deeply personal to me even though I had only met at the time this one person who was deafblind and that like I was in it for the right reason so to speak um and that you know they understood that I was really going into this earnestly with an open heart and an open mind to learn and make this the best possible story it could be um, and that was something where once I kind of passed that test, so to speak, we really, it was really just an amazing opportunity to come out to the, now I, I live in Los Angeles now, but the, um, Helen Keller National Center is in Long Island. So I would go out there routinely, you know, meet with a lot of the students there, who, the deafblind students, a lot of the, de uh, the deafblind faculty, and also, you know, the, the, the rest of the faculty to learn 
about um, as much as I could and connect with the community as much as I could, get to connect with the community here in Los Angeles. Um, and really it was just an amazing opportunity for me to learn and connect with this community while also like I was the expert on the other side of the coin, you know, telling them about ways in which how the vision I had for how this film could be used for a lot more than entertainment and how we could create, you know, it's full accessible screening events around it and really reach so many more people and open people, you know, really open people's minds and hearts to a community that they maybe have never even thought about before. Um, so it was really nice to be able to have, you know, both of us, you know, adding our skill sets in there. And, you know, it's something that really couldn't have happened, particularly in the way that it has without that partnership. Um, and, it, you know, ultimately, the you know, the film's better for it and everything around the film is, is a lot better for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like more than a film. It, you know, it's like you said, it's kind of like an educational video as well. You know, people who maybe have never had that experience, you know, now they could, you know, know what to do in that sort of, you know, encounter. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we as humans think, you know, that other people would act, you know, like the homeless kid did and, you know, help him and get him on the bus. So, uh, you know, I just think it's uh, an amazing film. Um, you know, did you expect the film to get the recognition it did? I mean, it's it's really blown up, right? <laughs> you know, it's it's this weird thing when you set out to do something, particularly something that in this case that I was like really, really invested in for a long, long time before we ever released it. It's like, so like the answer I'd say is yes and no. You know, yes in the sense that like if you're when when I'm really really invested in something and really believe in it, I'm like yeah I believe in the the power of this story and its capabilities. And then on the other side, you can't ever know, you know how something's right. going to come out, how other people are going to receive it, you know how how it's going to get passed around or not. So like definitely a big yes and a big no at the same time, you know and um you know, we're obviously, this is the beautiful thing is that like, we've, you know, met and surpassed really in a lot of ways, all my, really all the goals I set out for with this. Awesome. Um, and, and, but, but that there's still so much more to do and that I kind of keep setting new, new goals around it um, each step of the way, because it, each, each kind of new tier offers new possibilities for what we can do with it. Um, but yeah, you know, when, when I was really, can you know came to really make the decision to, to make this um in earnest like three plus years ago i had a really strong feeling in my gut that it was something i needed to do and i was i've just been following that ever since mm -hmm. were you like when you came into this experience in real life you know three years ago were you already into you know filmmaking and producing or did this kind of like jumpstart that and you're like you know that may be something i'd be interested in yeah, I was already doing it. And I think I kind of very recently like found my voice, so to speak, I feel like in my my real kind of like sweet spot as far as just like more deeply understanding who I am as a storyteller and the kind of stories that I wanted to tell and how I wanted to use those stories. Um, I, I'd made a film called Jada that was um, inspired by when I first moved from New York to Los Angeles, I moved to Venice Beach and I was really kind of enamored with the neighborhood, but also really kind of, um, it was it was hard to not really note the, the, the really large population of homeless youth there. And it was something that um, ended up inspiring this fictional story about the seven-year-old runaway girl living alone on Venice Beach. Um, 
and it was something that, you know, ended up going really viral and got like 6 million views the first week it was on YouTube and has like 24, 23 million views now. And it was something that really, in seeing the response, when something goes out to that many people and you get so much feedback, I was seeing how many people were really moved and inspired to look into adoption and foster care. Cause that's some, like one of the kind of, um, th this girl's a runaway from like an abusive, like foster care situation. And, um, I just started, it was a light bulb moment for me of kind of like the power of storytelling and how um, I was kind of already gravitating to like really personal stories that had some social issue that was like kind of part of the DNA of them. Mm -hmm. So that was like a really nice, um, that was really nice bridge to feeling through and everything I wanted to do with that. And I'd made some other films before that, but that was, I think those two are kind of like really, I mean, in a lot of ways, kind of like brother and sister films. I actually like wrote them right around the same time. Um, but, uh, but that was something that, you know, I was really cultivating my voice, like before I, before I started feeling through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that, you know, that, that kind of storytelling is just huge right now. I mean, it's important. Uh, everyone can use it these days, right. <laughs> With, you know, everything going on. So, uh, you know, what is the biggest misunderstanding you think, you know, from the deafblind community? I think the biggest, well, I think the biggest thing that people don't understand if they've never really thought about the community is that deaf blindness is a spectrum that includes everyone who's completely deaf and completely blind, which is a really small portion of the population to everyone who's legally deaf and legally blind, but has some use of their vision or hearing and or hearing, and then everyone in between. So that it's, there really is as, as many deafblind people as you'll come across, you'll see different manifestations of that. And I think that's what people, when people hear deafblind, they assume someone's completely deaf and completely blind. It's the same thing with like, you know, and people will in other communities, like the blind community slash low vision community or the deaf and hard of hearing community, you'll hear some people identify in different, more specific ways. Like they might say they're low vision or legally blind instead of blind but blind can mean a lot of things on its own. That doesn't mean you can't see anything at all. Maybe you can't see anything, but you have some light sensitivity. Maybe you're legally blind, but like with the corrective lenses and under certain conditions, you can still use your eyes to some degree. And same thing with, you know, deaf and hard of hearing. It's like, maybe you're like nine, you maybe you're hundred percent deaf. Maybe you're 90% deaf. Maybe you're completely deaf in one ear, but have a little bit of hearing in the other ear. So understanding that, um, you know that there's a real diversity of manifestation of that and therefore like a real diversity within the communities is i think the kind of understanding that starts to open up an understanding to a lot of other elements of the community mm -hmm. no i mean yeah it's it's an amazing film man and you know congrats on you know everything that you know you've achieved with it i'm you know the nominations you know it's truly amazing so you know everyone listening you know be sure to check out Feeling Through on YouTube. Uh, check out Doug on Doug Roland on Instagram. Uh, and, you know, one question I like to ask uh, each podcast guest before they go uh, is, you know, to you, what is happiness? To me, happiness is, you know, feeling grounded in authenticity and, and truth and, and feeling um, having the courage to to like be oneself and 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 not feel swayed by um others to be something that you're not mm -hmm. i like it i like it well, awesome doug i appreciate you uh coming on the podcast today you know again everyone 
be sure to check out Feeling Through on YouTube. And you said you have a documentary coming out soon as well. Oh yeah, it's it's out. So the easiest way is actually if you go to feelingthrough.com, it'll direct you to both Feeling Through and the documentary. There, it's which which is right below that. So you can easily find both those films at feelingthrough.com. And we're also at Feeling Through on all the social media. So find us there as well. Awesome. Sounds good. 